This is the Tom Bigby Tales, and I'm your host, Shannon Evans. I write about a small town in Mississippi on the Tom Bigby River called Columbus. Today's episode is titled, The Train Wreck Victims Laid to Rest in Sandfield. On September 1st, 1902, an excursion train specifically marketed to the Black population in the area churned across the state of Mississippi, leading Greenville deep in the Delta at 4.35 in the morning on a warm, dusty Monday. The riders were mostly headed to Birmingham, Alabama for a day in the big city. The Southern Railroad stopped to pick up riders in Indianola, Itabina, Moorhead, Greenwood, Carrollton, Winona, Eupora, West Point, and eventually Columbus. So many riders were waiting at the Columbus Depot that additional cars were added. Eight cars in all were filled with revelers headed for a day in Birmingham. The train would normally depart the Columbus station at 10.45 in the morning, but the sheer number of people on the train made the cars late as more more cars were added. Finally, after all 10 cars left the station filled with people and picnic campers, the Southern Railroad and its engineers prided themselves on being on time, so the engine was stoked up to force the train to go faster and faster to make up for their lost time. Normally, the train moves along slowly, and a maximum speed in open countryside might have reached 25 miles per hour. However, that was the exception and not the rule. The rate of speed on this particular day rapidly increased as this excursion train pulled out into the countryside across the flat farmland of Eastern Lowndes County as the train crossed over into Alabama's rolling piney hills. As the train drew nearer to the east bend of of Barry, Alabama, the train was still gaining speed and getting closer to making up lost time. Faster and faster, the train reached 30 miles an hour. Pushing the limits of physics, the engine could not hold onto the tracks in the sweeping almost 90-degree curve at Barry. The engine tender and four cars departed the track and tumbled down into a steep ravine before tumbling to the bottom, 60 feet below. The trainmaster, H.M. Dudley of Birmingham, and the engineer, J.W. Crook, were killed along with 21 passengers. Most of the dead and injured were in the first two cars that had been added in Columbus. There were scores of injured, some seriously with broken bones, cuts, and burns. The cars pinned many of the dead, dying, and injured as they lie there waiting for help to arrive in the form of a wrecker train from Birmingham. Nothing could be done until the wrecker train arrived. The news of the wreck was telegraphed back to Columbus and each of the stations where the riders had embarked. People rushed to the stations for any news on their loved ones. It would be hours before they would know who lived and who did not. While they waited into the evening, the Southern Railroad corporate offices began to work hard behind the scenes to mitigate any bad press on the event. General Manager J.E. Dodson rushed to a local funeral home in Columbus to buy 21 pine boxes for the dead excursionists and had them laid out on the platform in Columbus to receive the dead. They called in two claim agents, Wiley and Fulgham, from neighboring service lines to come counsel the families of the dead and injured on settlements. 
Cash Mosby, an African-American businessman who had organized the excursion, was also present. It is interesting to note that Mr. M.P. Fiesel had obviously been a dispatcher with the Southern Railroad, had recently become employed by the Penn Life Insurance Company. His account was the northern half of Mississippi, and and his office was in West Point, not far from Columbus. The local judge and his clerk were pulled from their beds in Columbus to meet the train and the families of the dead so that a list could be made and probate started. Southern Railroad awarded $500 per death, which would then be split among the heirs of the dead. All monies were awarded to the families of the dead and all probates were buttoned up no later than September 14, 1902. Additional monies, $250 to $500, were awarded to the 81 injured, 45 of whom were from Columbus. One family, representing the deceased Marshall Wright, sued the railroad for $15,000. Others accepted the $500 they were offered and never sued for any additional monies for death and damages to their loved ones. Several of the injured, including Ann Martin and William Hood, sued the railroad for $5,000 per person. The description of the injuries of those who sued the railroad were largely head injuries, broken collarbones, broken arms, and dislocated shoulders. Three of the dead on that day, Marshall Wright, Ed Clark, and Ben Kirk, are buried in Sandfield. Sandfield is a very historic burial ground. It is the oldest burial ground specifically designated for African-Americans in the city of Columbus. In 1854, a mysterious figure named S.H. Irvin filed an elaborate design for a burial ground at the the Lowndes County Courthouse. The original plans for the cemetery covered a parcel west of the Luxembourg River with the northern border at Tuscaloosa Road, which is now 82, and the southern border at 2nd Avenue South College Street. The original design spanned 16 city blocks and contained a green belt of 154 large plots, which would hold up to 10 to 12 graves each. The proposed entrance included two grand brick and wrought iron gates, and the plan included fencing along the perimeter of the plots similar to the predominantly white Friendship Cemetery. The original plan also included a large concentric ring in the center of the grounds with a gazebo made of marble acting as a hub to two spokes of cobbled roads. The original grand design, however, was never realized. The cemetery that came about only covered about 10 total acres. It featured no gazebo and it also had no wrought iron gates, but it did contain two spoke roads. Sandfield has been owned by the city since 1855. The site fell into disrepair in the 1960s and 70s. Many descendants of the people buried in the cemetery moved away from Columbus. Lots of history about the African-American community that once existed around Sandfield is now lost. Some of the gravesite's headstones are lost, destroyed, or, or lost to encroachment by neighboring businesses. Indeed, the city was unclear about ownership of the burial ground for a while, and it is only in recent years that the city attorney and the mayor confirmed their their ownership and duty to care for the cemetery. 
Many local African-Americans, including some local funeral homes, believe that it was a pauper's field for whites. But the pauper's field for whites is located further north at what is now the current Columbus Police Department's parking lot. Sandfield is a burial site of many formerly enslaved people and some of Columbus's key African-American figures from Reconstruction and the Jim Crow era. Some influential leaders include two of the first black legislators elected in Lowndes County, Robert Gleed, who served from 1870 to 1876, and Reverend Jesse Freeman Bolden, who served from 1870 to 1871. Others include publisher and business leader Richard Littlejohn, a businessman and entrepreneur Jack Rabb, and educator William Isaac Mitchell, also president of the Penny Savings Bank the first African-American bank in Lowndes County. And of course, Simon Mitchell, who served as a Reconstruction era justice of the peace. During the summer, last summer, I spent the better part of the summer cataloging every headstone in Sandfield. I identified several graves that are now in encroached upon areas. Those stones are still there and hidden behind the walls of the fences that have been moved beyond the actual property lines of both the hotel that abounds the uh, Highway 82 side of the cemetery and the car lot that faces its western boundary. They are encroaching approximately 150 feet long of space each and about 12 to 15 uh, feet over into this particular uh, cemetery. It's a shame what's happened there, but hopefully with some time and some effort and a little bit of money and some interest from community members that will put pressure on the city council and the mayor and that land will be returned and fenced and honored and the headstones repaired, restored, and the land preserved forever to those who died and are buried there. This is Shannon Evans, and thank you for coming to Tom Bigby Tales. I hope to see you next time.